friends. It's good to be with you guys. My name is Larry. Uh, I'm a pastor up in the Bay Area, like John said. And uh, if you're with us online right now, virtually, you're welcome. I'm like a tall glass of water. Just drink it in. I'm with you for the next couple minutes. So yeah, just sit there and check that out. You're not even here, but you still get me. It's good. Um, man, I'm going to tell you real quick. I know you guys have heard it before, and I'm not doting. Um, but seriously, PJ or Pastor John here, um, I'm telling you, we've had lots of conversations and especially even through this last 18 months that we've all kind of gone through. Um, and I'm going to tell you right now that this community, community, when he talks about you guys, he does it in the most loving, adoring way, like in a really beautiful way that I just love. And it makes me want to talk about the people that I pastor like that. Not that I don't, but... It makes me really like lean in and be like, man, like you love your people. Uh, you are so loved by him. And um, we actually have some history. So um, back in the 1900s, that's what we call it now. The 1900s, uh, in 19, the 1980s actually, my grandparents moved from Cincinnati, Ohio to Hemet. Hemet was like the retirement capital of the world at some point. And so I went with on this trip. This is a picture of my grandparents. This is Raymond and Carolyn. You can try that number. I don't think it works anymore. Um, this is from the directory here. I had to look up some old stuff. And so I'm familiar with this church because I came here, but I came here in like the median age of people here was like 70. So when I came here, it was like the worst and the best at the same time because like I just got all the grandmas and grandpas. Like I got all the love and I got way too doted on. And uh, I, we used to come and I was in the, it was now the student center. That was the church we went to. I got some other pictures right here. This is a picture of like the worship team back then, right there. Yep. See, they're rocking. Those are the hairdos back then. I got another one. One more, I think. Another worship yeah, this one was legit. That guy, all I remember, I told John, I just remember the worship guy that had like the Britney Spears mic and a ponytail. And like, that was my memory from community back then. And then when I was looking through stuff, I was like, oh, I remember when Scott first came and this is a picture of him. Yeah, that's Scott right there. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that great? He hasn't aged at all. We're all jealous right now, actually. No, he says not jealous. So good. So I actually have this really special place in my heart for community and this church. My parents, uh, or my grandparents, uh, I would stay here in the summers. There was a time that I went to school here. They, lived, they, worked, they lived on uh, Bryan Street. I don't know. Shout out to any of you who live on Bryan Street. <laughs> just throwing it out there, just seeing what happens. <laughs> right? <clears throat> Um, so anyways, yeah, another little bit about me is I have a family. Uh, this is a picture of my family. I got four kids. That's my smoking hot wife, Michelle. Yeah, she's probably watching this lady. That's why I said that, right? Um, and then I have the four kids. My oldest is Madeline. She's in high school. Then my son, my oldest son right there, his name is Malachi. We adopted him when he was born from uh, Ethiopia. So we got to go over to Africa, scoop him up. Um, he was an orphan. Then I have Elsie. Uh, right there in the middle. And then our youngest, his name is Demetrius. 
He is African-American and Vietnamese, uh, and we foster cared for him for two years, his first two years of life, and then we ended up adopting him. So that kind of makes us up. So this really fun, eclectic family, and we get to celebrate all kinds of things. We celebrate Ethiopian New Year here in September, and I'm learning things about Vietnamese culture, and just all of us, you know, we're just kind of together in this cool little melting pot. So that's what I have back home. That's a little bit about me. Um, I wanted to um, tell you a little bit more about me in a situation as I'm kind of hopping in and going to unpack this last letter that we're going through. So uh, by a raise of hands, for those of you here, who has ever been stuck? Like stuck. Okay. Oh, man, there's a lot of stuck people. This is great. All right, good. So I've been stuck. I mean, like super stuck. Um, So when I was 19 years old, I remember I went off to college, and I had a bunch of back issues, and it was the first time I ever needed to get an MRI, if you've heard of those. It's this long, like, toilet paper tube that they put people in to torture. And, uh, And I was 19 years old, and I had moved to California from Arizona at that time, and it was the first time I went to the doctor, a big doctor's appointment, without my mom. (laughs) <laughs> so this was like status, right? I had like an insurance card, so I felt like that was a proper ID for everything. So I remember I went in, uh, this was in um, Orange County. I went in to get this big MRI thing, and I came in, and I was like, you know, checking in. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, insurance card. Yeah, I got it. Anybody with you? No? Okay, you can wait in the waiting room. You know, then you got to like flip through magazines, because I like, guess what you do when you're older um, in the waiting room. So, you know, checking that stuff out. And then they call me back. Larry, you can come back. Okay, yeah, just me, no one else. So I walked back in the back. And specifically, I remember I was wearing a Tigger shirt that day. It's just what you do when you're 19 and you live around Disneyland. So I'm wearing a Tigger shirt. I go in the back. I remember because she was like, hey, that's a cool Tigger shirt. And I was like, that's right, it is. So she says, go ahead and go into this room and you're going to change. You're going to change out of everything, and you're going to put on a gown, but you can leave your Tigger shirt on. So sweet. I got this. And then she said, fold up all your stuff and your valuables. Go ahead and put it at the bottom of the door right here, and then we'll put it into a locker. And there's a a cabinet right there that has different size gowns in it. So I was like, right on. I got this. Like, I'm a big kid. This is totally normal. I don't need anybody to help me. Like, I got it. So I went in there, took off my stuff, put it in a nice little pile, put it down there with my shoes and stuff. Turn around, I'm looking in the cabinet, and I like, I'll just tell you right now, I know how this works. I always have to go to the bottom of the pile. That's just where the larger things live. So I went right to the bottom, and I pulled that bad boy out, and it said, like, small. So I was like, that's not going to work. So I dug through a little bit more, and it was like, extra small. So I was like, oh, my gosh. So I start going through everything, and everything's a small or an extra small. So I'm like, oh, this is normal. Like, I guess this is just what it is. Like, I don't, it's probably not even, like, the right sizes. So I try to put, like, one on, and I get my arm sleeve to, like, here. And I'm like, ah, that's not going to work. So I, I now am, like, in need of someone. So I think, oh, I should probably ask, right, instead of being, like, a tough guy. So I turn around to get my clothes back on, and they have sneakily taken everything away and put in the locker. So now I'm like, what do I do? So I'm like yelling, hello, nothing, right? Nothing. So I'm thinking, this is normal. Like, I don't even mom right now. I can do this. Get real creative. So I took one of those gowns and went long way and went around the side and had a sweet slit right here. And I had like a short skirt on. And I was like, this will work. This will work to at least get up there. So I come walking out, and the lady looks over, and she's like, oh, never seen anyone put it on like that before. And I was like, yeah, um, nothing really fit, and I, I need to get. And she's like, okay, well, come on this way. And I was like, oh, okay, 
we're doing this. So, so I was like, you know, this is big kid stuff. So I was like, I don't need to ask questions. Like, this is what we do. So I had to learn how to walk differently because I've never walked with a slit in the side of, you know, whatever you want to call that. And uh, so I walk around the corner and I see the MRI machine. This long tube, it's got a bed on the outside and this sweet woman, she's gonna say, we're gonna do some tests. I get to sit on the edge of the, the table and like, I have to figure out how to sit now, and fix my skirts. <laughs> I'm like, what do you want me to do next? So she's like, look, there's these huge headphones we put on. And then she puts them on and it's like Inya in there. It's like, who can see when the wind? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's good. And she's like talking, can you hear me? And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. She's like, okay, good. You're going to lay down. We're going to do these tests. I'm going to load you into the tube. And I was like, okay, cool. So I laid down. She gets the pillow all comfy. And she's like, okay, here we go. And I was like, yeah, good stuff. So she starts putting me back into the tube. And we start going through. And right as we start going in, my nose starts to rub on the top. And like, I'm like, oh, I'm not claustrophobic. But I thought, like, if I wanted to be, that could happen pretty quickly, right? So I'm doing this weird, like, side air breathe thing. Because, you know, have you ever, like, put your head in a pillow? It's not a good idea. But if you've done it, and, uh, you know, it's like hot air comes back and you feel like it's not fresh, right? So you're like, get the cold stuff, right, out the side. So I immediately am doing, like, the <laughs> out the side because that's where the fresh air is at, I guess. So it's going in, and she's like, you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. So we go further back in, and it comes to my shoulders, and it's kind of like pinching kind of tight. And she's like, are you all right? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, who can say it? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. It's just a little tight. She's like, okay. So she keeps going in, and like, it's squeezing my, my back's supposed to starting to pop. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. We're kind of tight. And she's like, Shh, okay, hold on, hold on. I'll, I'll fix it. So I'm like, okay, thank you. So then she starts, and I'm just, you know, at the same time. So then she starts to move the bed back out so I can go out. Well, the thing that happened is the bed started to move, but I did not. <laughs> so now I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, whoa, whoa, the bed's going down. So she notices that and she's like, shh, shh, hold on. Oh, sorry, hold on. I'm just going to put the bed right back under you. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. So she starts to put the bed back under and uh, just hang with me here. Um, but it catches my butt lip. I don't know what else to call that. I'm just going to be honest. And so it kind of catches me and starts to wedge me in further. So now I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, this is uncom uncomfortable, right? So I'm like in this two parts. So all of a sudden she realizes she has caught my butt lip and is wedging me further into this toilet paper tube and she freaks out. So it's like, who can't say? And all of a sudden she goes, ah, ah, and I went, Whoa, wait a minute. You're panicking, I'm panicking. So immediately I thought, I'm gonna break out of this thing like the Hulk. Like all of a sudden I'm like, ah! and now I'm going. And now my hands like a fish are just like doing this, kicking around, because that's all that's in there. And I'm like trying to kick myself out. My skirts become a belt. It's not good. And so then all of a sudden I feel like these two huge like arms, like Winnie the Pooh and the rabbit hole, like trying to pull me out of this thing. And I come out finally, and I'm like, come out. I like hop up real quick. I fix my skirt. So I'm all like, oh my gosh. My headphones are falling off. And the lady's literally like, <sighs> like staring at me. And I didn't know whether to like slap her or give her a hug. So I hugged her because I felt like I needed my mom right then because I'm not going to be a big kid anymore. <laughs> 
that doesn't feel normal. So then like the two guys walked her out like I traumatized her. They like walked her around the corner. I'm still just sitting there in my Tigger shirt and my skirt. Like what's gonna happen now? I don't wanna do this. And this big guy comes around the corner. He's like, lay down, we gotta do the test. And I'm like, who are you and what's happening? And where's my mom? Um, so then he like maybe put my arms up above my head and I had to go on that thing. Yeah, it was bad. So anyways, I've been stuck, literally. <laughs> you know what it kind of feels like? Um, so why does it take, first of all, why does it take until we get to like that, the worst of the worst moments when we're finally like, I need help, right? I need my mom or I need something else. But more specifically, you know, I feel like um, we've kind of been in a season and you've been in those seasons or phases of life where you just kind of got to go and plow through it and it just is what it is and it stinks and it gets worse, but you still just got to do it and it's no fun and it's difficult and there's times of crisis and you don't really know what to do about it. You can scream and you can panic, but you still got to fix your skirt and move on (laughs) and get it done, right? It just doesn't stop. Well, today we're talking about the book of 1 John and I kind of got away with this one, PJ, because it's not a letter, <laughs> and this is a letter series. There is, a, at the end, towards the end of your Bible, there's three right there. There's 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Um, and 1 John, what he's writing this to is a group of people who are in crisis that have just been going through really difficult times. We don't know exactly when this book was written. In reality, we don't even know exactly who wrote the book. We believe it's John because early Christians told us that it was John that wrote this to a group of house churches. Back then, they didn't put their names on it. I think a lot of it was due to humility. You see that throughout the Gospels. A lot of them didn't put their name on that. It was the churches that said, this is who wrote this. And so um, John, we're told, wrote 1 John. Then later in 2nd and 3rd John, which are actually letters, it says that John the Elder, which is a different John that was being mentored by the Apostle John, wrote those. So we know it says the Elder wrote this, and we try to figure some stuff out. We're not sure exactly when it was written. Um, It's likely that it was written in somewhere around 80s, like the real 80s, not the 1980s, the 80s. Um, And it was written back then. And what we do know is that there was crisis because what we do know as far as timing goes back then, and they didn't really calendar things that well back in the first century, even to second, third, is that uh, in 70, Jerusalem went down. So there was massive crisis that was going on because people lost their temple. Um, They were kind of being dispersed in different places. There's this group of people that are following the way, which is Christians, or they're a follower of Jesus, which is this new way of living. And so they're going through some sort of crisis. And John now is going to write this group of churches, this letter, or really in 1 John, this poem or sermon of encouragement. 2 John is really a letter that's focused towards the church, a specific church, and talking about people who are kind of going sideways and um, talking nonsense and kind of moving people away from the following of the way. And then 3 John, it was written actually to a specific member of the church because the pastor there was kind of being a jerk. And you can read about that. And that's actually where we got our son, our youngest son's name. His name is Demetrius because John's talking about Demetrius is coming. He's going to come to your house, take care of him. He's a missionary. He's a messenger of the gospel. 
So that's kind of your overview of what 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John looks like. The letters are 2nd and 3rd John, but that first one is really all about this crisis. And we can all find ourselves in a place of a crisis, whether it's a crisis of faith, of health, of relationships, uh, you name it. Make it personal for you. When we look at this book in totality, it starts with an introduction and has a clear conclusion. And then in the middle, it's broken up in these two parts. And he uses these really beautiful axioms and imagery of light and dark and, and good and evil uh, and love and hate. And so that first section, he really talks about light and that God is light. And that now you are a part of this light through Jesus, and that light actually then equals love. And so it goes, it's a, you're now part of this fellowship, this koinonia, that everyone is invited into this, and they get to enjoy the light and share the light. Then in that second part, and that's where I'm going to focus the rest of the time that I have with you tonight, or today, is, uh, is we're going to focus on this part where he talks about God is love, and this, this love of God, and it's this light and love and the light represents love. So there are three beautiful words that uh, we can grasp that he uses twice right in the middle of First John. It's in First John 4. I'm going to go First um, John 4, 1, uh, 7 through 12. And so you can grasp on that to a minute in just a minute. But this is so fundamental. These three words are so fundamental to what we believe. These three beautiful words are really better than we have fries with that. Like, they're the most beautiful words uh, that you can find. And the, they change everything for us. And these are the three words. God is love. Can you say it with me? God is love. That's right. I find that that truth just resonates with just like the human soul, right? God is love. Like none other, like it, it's just, it, whether you're a believer or not, whether, if you're a theist, which is like someone who believes that there's such a thing as God, then this, the, God is love seems almost axiomatic. By that mean, like it almost just is presuppositional. Like it's the, that's the most obvious thing in the world. God is love. And if you've met someone and they're like, yeah, God is love. And, you know, I've asked people in the past, what does that mean to you? I would love to know what that means to you, God is love. And you always get interesting answers that create interesting conversations. I've asked someone before and, you know, like, whoa, whoa, come on, look at nature. Look at nature out there. God is love. We look at it just so beautiful if you just look around. And I would say, Really? Okay, I can kind of say that, like, it's beautiful, right? God is really creative, but that actually, does that show his love? I don't know if that would connect to his love, because if you look at, like, nature, you see all kinds of death and destruction. I mean, we're, we were just, we didn't do it tonight, but, you know, recently we just saw, like, Haiti, where, like, why is an earthquake happening, and all these people, or tsunamis, or tornadoes, or these floods that just happened in Tennessee, and, you know, just these huge, all these fires in this state. And you're like, God is love? So that's a really tough one for people to get all the way there. So you're like, okay, like, do you have something else? And, you know, oftentimes people will be like, well, look at humanity. And I'm always like, oh my gosh, <laughs> did you just say that? Yeah, look at humanity. It's just, it's the, you're right. It's the most amazing species capable of some of the most grotesque and horrific things <laughs> that have ever happened on this planet, right? Humanity, we are broken. We just prayed about it tonight and something, the difficult news that we're all carrying tonight in humanity. 
And, and, you, and you sit there and you say like, okay, so then what does God as love mean? I think simply it just boils down to Jesus. For me, it has to. It has to boil down to Jesus because if Jesus is who he said he was and what he tells us in the gospels is if you want to know the father, if you want to know God, then look at me and then do what I do and say what I say. Then I can say, if that's actually the truth, if, if God is everything you're doing and you're saying, then that is love. I can get there. He is showing me love. Yes, God is love. And there's this passage in 1 John where these three beautiful words are used twice. The Apostle John says, God is love twice in one chapter. And that's what we're going to kind of tease out for just and grab a couple nuggets out of there. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles or I'm going to throw it up here on the screen in just a moment. moment. The Apostle John, you're going to see in just a minute, mentions the word love in noun form 13 different times just over these few verses from 7 to 12 that we're going to go through um, today. We oftentimes think that 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, right? How many of you have been to a wedding? No one's, okay. Yeah, you, you dudes, you're getting the nudge right now. You've been to our wedding. Yeah, it's good. This is like the one that usually gets read at weddings, right? And talks about this. This is also, this though, what we're going to talk about is also very much the love chapter that roots the identity of who God is in that word, that, what that word love means. The word love is used 13 times. And this word that he specifically uses right here is agape. Agape love. There's different Greek words that are used. You guys have heard these before for love. Storge, phileo, eros. These different words. But agape, this is the word that the apostles used and they grabbed a hold on to this. And they started, we see as they tease out as they use this word agape, they started filling in what agape actually means with a lot of clarity. That, that love according to agape is unconditional. It, it's love with no strings attached. We could define it as this. Agape is an unconditional energy of honor between persons. I want you to look at it again. Agape love is an unconditional energy of honor between persons. It's unconditional. There's no strings attached. There's nothing that you have to do for this love. It's, it's energetic. It works. It labors for. It is working on your behalf. It, it infuses a situation with something that wasn't actually there before when there is love. It's this creative energy of honor. This honor, honor is something that values someone, that lifts someone up, being infinitely precious. And it's between persons. It happens between persons. It's never used to describe uh, our relationship with an inanimate object or events. Like, you know, we might say, I really love this band. Super awesome. I love this band, or I really love this food, or I love pizza, right? But then also you say, like, I love my wife. It's used in this really, uh, it's the same word that's used in this really elastic terms, the way that we say we love different things. Where we're talking about food, pizza, which is delicious, and then I'm talking about my wife, right? Whom, or my kids, whom I deeply love, who is most precious to me. And I use the same word. Love is something that we use with this great elasticity, but agape is always between persons. It's always between people. 
This is very personal. It's very unconditional, energetic, honoring, and valuing between persons. This is the word that's being used then throughout this verse as we read it when it talks about agape. So let's go ahead and hop right in. 1 John 4, 7, right off the bat. For some of you, it says, dear friends. Many of you have that translation. Does anybody else in here maybe have a different translation? It says something different right there. This is participation. Everybody's got it. Beloved. Perfect. I love that. So let's jump to the next one. Beloved. Beloved is actually, friends, a very literal translation. It's a great translation. Dear friends hints at this. It hints at this idea, but it doesn't fully capture what's going on right here because what that word is in archaic language that we're kind of breaking down for you right now is agape toy, agape toy, which means beloved or beloved ones. That's the literal translation of how that starts. It's beloved ones, the very first word in verse 7. What a beautiful way. What a beautiful way to think of yourself and the people around you. That you are beloved. That I'm beloved. That we are the beloved ones. That, that we are the ones who are loved. This, this is the identity of the New Testament church. That we are beloved. That we are the loved ones of God and of each other, and we receive loved, and we are the object of God's loved, the loved ones. So let's continue. Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. See, the flow right here comes down from God and therefore should come out from us towards one another. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is the past tense, saying this is a done deal. This is the irreligious understanding of our salvation. It's just pure grace. It's something that's already happened. We're already born into this. You're already born. You, you know God. This is now just up to a choice that you have growing up to do. You have decisions to making to actually accept and then reciprocate that. But you are already born into God's family. This is already positive. He's already done something on your behalf. And then you get to see the fruit of how you're growing in that love for one another over time. And then conversely, the next verse, he says this in verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God, here's our three beautiful words, is love. If you don't love, you don't know God. Now again, just as we talked about in our worship service today, we do that imperfectly. We do everything imperfectly. And we love imperfectly. But we should see evidence. We should see things that, like, that comes out of us, evidence that love is actually a primary characteristic of our identity growing in that way. We should be growing in love. And John is also giving a warning right here that if you're not or others are not loving and they're not growing in love, then if you don't see this love, then be aware these people, they're not truly representing Christ. He's saying, hey, be careful. Like, you're going to listen to someone who's talking about or that has some sort of authority over you or you're trying to get something from or, you know, Pastor John's up here and he's teaching you these things, but you see that it's, love's just not leaking out of him somewhere else. He's saying, beware. Because they don't truly understand who God is. And that's also a beware for us. Because we are the beloved ones. 
that that's an example. Like, we should be seeing this in other people, and we should be seeing this, they should be seeing this in us. This is a larger context than one of his warnings. It says, love is an important declaration of someone who's truly a part of God's family because God is love. So how can you tune in with God who is love and not be leaking it out in your own life? He he says, uh, the first time he says it in the Greek, God is love. I'm going to give you a little secret. It's actually four words. I've been saying this three words. This is what it looks like in the Greek. It says, God is love, and this is right up here. It says, Hothios agape esten. This, this actually translates to the God love is. So this is really powerful because the God love is. So there is this emphasis on creator, this creative force of the universe. There is one true God. This is a very monotheistic clarification right here. We're not talking about a God is love. This is the one and only, the true God, love, is. And that's how he concludes verse 8, to give us context, then as he moves forward. So verse 9. This is how God showed love among us. So if we're going to say that God is love, how do we see this really clearly? Because we're going to be tempted to pour our own definition on what this looks like into God's word, unless it's defined really clearly um, about what God's love looks like. <clears throat> the def- Bible actually defined these things. Um, and a lot of times we can get like stuck. We can look at the Bible as this dictionary. We want really clear verbiage. But the Bible and Jesus' teaching, it's just painted in lots of imagery and metaphors and hyperbole and these ideas that speaks to the literate, literate and illiterate at the same time. They can all understand these things. And so the Bible isn't defined so much as a dictionary, but what it's saying is, here's where you got to look. you got to look, and I'm going to point at the life of Jesus. You need to look how he lived. Look what he taught. Look at how he died. Look at how he rose again and how his deposition towards even his murderers was. And you then, friends, will see love. You say what he says. You do what he does. Now, there are places in the Bible where it's just love is described, like I told you in 1 Corinthians 13. And this is a fruit of the Spirit that we see uh, in Galatians. It talks about a fruit of the Spirit that is born out of this. And this is an important description of love, but the primary one is actually just Jesus. Just points to Jesus. You can go look through these lists and you can look through the fruit of the Spirit, but the primary thing to look at that represents and encompasses all of what God is love is Jesus. It said that God is love, and John wants to be so clear that we know what we're talking about when we use the word love. So immediately he starts talking about Jesus. It says, This is how God showed his love. Among us, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son atoning sacrifice for our sins. I love this language right here. This is we language. Uh, It's our language just permeates throughout this. It's not a you versus me or you sin, so he died for your sins. This is a, hey, we're on the same team right here. This is all of us. This is a we language. It's always we language throughout this whole passage. 
that he has shown us his love, that we ought to love one another. It's not punitive. It's not finger pointing. It's not, you need to do a better job of this. You need to love better. I don't like how you're acting. It's we need to do better, community. We need to love better. We need to receive his love. He has died for our sins, our failures. This is really instructive for how we have spiritual conversations with other people. It's not a matter of telling you what you need to do. Have you ever been in one of those conversations where someone's like, this is what you need to do. You need to fix it. You need to fix all that. It's bad. (laughs) Right? That's That's not how you have these spiritual conversations about what you need to do as much as sharing, you know what? This is what I've discovered because me too. Me too. This is what I've discovered that we need this, I need this. And I just want to include you in the story and you can hear a little piece of my story and it just breaks down the walls of us versus them. Because when you understand love, that God is love, no matter what, it changes everything. Agape toy, he continues. He says it again, agape toy, beloved ones. Since God so loved us, we ought to love. You want to finish the sentence for me there? We ought to what? Okay, some of us got this. We've read it before. But let's look at the, they said we ought to love one another. But let's just finish the sentence like it naturally would go. Since God so loved us, we ought to, if you just step back for a second, the logical thrust of this sentence is God loved us so much, we ought to love God so much, right? It's, it's God has been so good to you, you should be good to God. This is how we work, at least amongst ourselves. God has given his life for you. You should live your, give your life to God. He's done this for you. That's what you should do for him. It seems just like the logical flow in this type of sentence. But if we live in the New Testament ethics of Jesus, then we know that the flow doesn't usually head in that direction, which is why many of us got it. Then we should love one another. This is what God has done for you. Therefore, you should pass it on to someone else. I'm receiving this and therefore passing it on to others, right? This is uh, one of those situations, and you've heard maybe this saying before, maybe you haven't. There's a, a saying, it's love God and love people, right? I think there's some words missing in there. It's love God by loving people. That's what it is. That's how you love God. Or love people, God feels loved, <laughs> That's how that works. It's not, I'm going to love you because you love me. It's great. And they're annoying. (laughs) And maybe one day I'll love them if they give me something awesome or, you know, are kind to me. Right? Continuing on, 1 John 4.11. Beloved ones, since God has so loved us, we ought to love one another. This becomes the thrust of the New Testament spiritually. our, Our worship Our connection with God, our ethical life is all rolled in this together. It's it's not, we'll have this worship just between me and God. I'm going to come here and this is just our time. And then, you know, that's just the goal. And then I'll have this side ethical life that I make my own decisions. And that's my sphere. And I'll try to do the right thing. My worship life, this life, and this life are all interconnected. That is all interconnected. And that's how God sees it. 
This is how I get closer to God. That when I love God, I express my love for people that God loves. You want to love God, you express your love for people that God loves. And he's always sending us into relationship with one another in a way that's expressing our faith. Not saying, come on, come here, come to come community, come to church, sit in rows. Now worship me. No. He's saying, love each other. And then let's see that in this beautiful faith community as an expression of love. He's always loved you. He says, now go, 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 go. Now start loving each other. And love each other well. And I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to do it with you. We're going to do it together. And this is how we express our spirituality. And then finally, verse 12 is such a powerful verse. Finishes off right here in this little section that I'm going to finish off with was, no one has ever seen God. He says the same thing in uh, actually his first gospel, John, the gospel of John, chapter 1, 18. He says, no one has seen God. But, but, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. No one has seen God, he talks about. And then he says, until Jesus. And you get to see that. And now, because of Jesus, he's saying, but if we love one another, like this old command, new command now, that Jesus gave, says, now you love each other like I have loved you. Remember? Do what I do, say what I say. And then God lives in us, and his love is made complete. His love is made complete. This is the tell us, to be complete, to achieve your purpose, to reach the end goal. The end goal is to love each other, that we are, we are children of light that permeates and touches other people, and that is the completion um, that we reach, that God lives in us, and his love, his love is made complete in us, through us. These three beautiful words. God is love. He's going to go on and repeat in the verses following. He's telling us this completeness and this fullness of God, but it's not the aspect of God. He doesn't say that God is loving. He says God is love. And so um, my final moments with you, I want to wrap up. I'm going to actually encourage you to do something this week. You can do it um, with somebody else. You can do it by yourself. Um, I'm going to ask you this week, just a spiritual reflection, is that you would reflect on God's love as seen in the life of Jesus and in others around you. One of them, um, there's a, a quote by a guy named Millard Erickson. He writes a systematic theology book. It says that if God is love, then we should be able to look at the qualities of love that are listed in 1 Corinthians 13 as qualities of God. We should be able to look at the descriptions of love in the Bible and say, that's God. And so I'm going to say, hey, let's do that this week. Um, I'm going to throw, there's, there's 16 of them. You can kind of dive through it. There's eight, I think, on this slide. That one right there. So this is what I'm going to ask you um, to do, is that there's a couple different areas you can do. These are the characteristics of love. Then you can write down next to this, where do I see these in the life of Jesus? So where do I see that Jesus is patient? Where do I see Jesus is kind? What stories am, uh, am I reminded of? That he's not envious 
right? Then look at it. This is the fun part. Where do I see these characteristics of love in others? Because that's how it's supposed to go. Where am I seeing others and who in my life am I seeing this in? And then the best one, where am I seeing this in me? Where in my life am I seeing this? And maybe this is a a wake-up call. Maybe this is a goal list. Maybe this is a challenge. Are others seeing in me that I'm patient, that I'm kind, that I'm not proud, rude, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always endures, never fails? Um, if you look just a few verses later in, uh, in that same chapter, he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have the confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So I'm going to say this. Maybe some of you feel like way far off. Maybe some of you are living in fear. I had a a fearful moment. You saw a picture of Elsie. She's my youngest daughter. And uh, we went to Disneyland years ago. And like I said, and you saw, I have four kids. Disneyland is difficult because in your mind, and this happens outside Disneyland, but as you're walking around, you're constantly doing this. One, two, three, four. 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 Okay, good, right? You're constantly counting how many kids you have. One, two, three, four. Okay, good. And it's quiet. It's going on in your head. So we had gone and done like a restroom break and we come out and it's like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Oh, parade. And a parade starts walking in front of us, which if you've been to Disneyland, they just show up. <laughs> I don't even know where they come from. It's like out of the ground, parade. So the parade happens and so we all stop and watch the parade go by, right? So the parade gets done and it's like been a cool parade. It's been like one of those like five, 10 minute parades. They dance and sing and stuff like that. So then we get done and we're like, all right, let's go on to the next thing. And so I'm going like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. One, two, three, one, two, three. And then it's to the wife. Hey, Michelle, you got, you got number four? No, I just got this one. Oh, gosh. So we realized we lost Elsie. So I'm like, try not to panic. No big deal. I'll find her. So I'm like, boom, 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 you know, looking around in this little area. And uh, I'm not going to tell anybody because I'm not going to be that guy, right? I didn't lose my kid at Disneyland. That's crazy, right? So I'm like running around and you're telling the other kids, you sit and you stay right there. So my wife's watching me kind of go, pew, pew, pew. And then finally I'm like, but I can't, it's 20 minutes now. I'm like, I can't find her. So then my wife's starting to panic and she's like, you guys stay here. And she's looking around everywhere and I can see the panic on her face. So finally I relent. I'm thinking, and this is early in the morning, they're going to kick us out. Like, where are those people? So I see a security person, and I walk up to him, and I'm like, hey, um, I'm trying to be super cool about it, but I am freaking out, right? And I think Elsie's maybe like four, three and a half, four at that time. So I'm like, um, I'm really sorry. That I'm, I don't know what to say, but I lost my, and he goes, you Elsie's dad? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So he's like, oh, hold on. It'll be a couple minutes, you know, like, hey, uh, I got Elsie's dad here. We're blah, blah, blah. And we're still in the area we are. 20 minutes later, she was a mile down. She had worked her way down. The, the, the thing had happened in the parade, and she just doop-bopped right with them, right? And we were all like, oh, parade. And she just was like, boop, 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 right? She ends up at like the Tower of Terror, 
So she comes running back and walking back. I can see her and she is just sobbing. And I think she's sobbing and like, I'm going to let her have it. So, you know, I'm like in front of people and I'm like, I can't let her have it in front of everybody. But she comes up and I scoop her up and I give her this huge hug and she's crying. I'm like, you're okay, sweetheart. I love you. I love you so much. You're okay. You're good. You're all good. Don't worry. It's not that big of a deal. Do you know that's what your heavenly father does? Because that's an attribute of love. For some reason, some of us have it stuck in our head that when we just kind of wandered off and went do-do-do and found our own little parade to be in, or, or weren't at church for a cool minute, I can't come back. They're going to like look at me sideways. Or they're going to know what I did. Or they're going to know how I messed up in this relationship. Or they're going to know how I hurt that person. They're going to know that I haven't taken in my garbage can like all week because I'm super depressed and I'm full of anxiety. But you know what the beautiful thing about God is love? Is that when you make your way back, sobbing and all broken down, thinking you're just going to take this beating, he scoops you up. He says, I love you. I love you. Have a seat. Come on. Let's go have the rest of the day. And I talked to the security guard. He's not kicking us out. <laughs> Super awesome. Right? God, friends, loves you. So maybe you're here today. Maybe you're with us online. Maybe you need to come wandering back. Let him scoop you up. And then you got a story to tell somebody else about. You get to invite him in. Be like, nah, you don't need to fix you. God loves you. This is what happened to me. So if that's you today, maybe you just want to journey into like, what does it look like to live a life that is beloved? And there's an email address. If you're with us, you can send an email to community, onlinecommunity.cc. Oh, office at community.cc. You can send an email there. If you're in the room here, I know there's some pastors here, PJ's here, all hanging around. We'd love to talk to you. And friends, I'm gonna tell you right now, you don't just roll back and keep your mouth shut. Like you go up and you say this with your heart and you say it with like your physical mouth. God, I need you. I'm back. Will you love me? And let him do what he does. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that we are your beloved. Thank you that we can be lost and found and lost and found. And God, may we be found by you over and over and over again. God, thank you for a faith community. Thank you for community, this church in Hemet, that gets to be children of light, of love for this community. May we honor you. May we bear your name with love and encouragement. God, would you change us from the inside out? In your precious name we pray.